Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. Our guest this week is Ed Budd. Ed is an actor, friend of mine, but he does oh so much more, including stand-up and lots of other stuff that we actually discuss in the show itself. Before we get started, I do want to mention one little correction from last week. We talked about in grand opening how the auto story was never really wrapped up, the performance artist. I was reminded by one of the listeners, this is a faithful listener, Doug M., pointed out that right before they decided to do the going out of business sale, there is a joke where Natalie says, well, one advantage to opening and closing on the same day, and they say what? And she says, we get to fire auto. And then it cuts to him starting to take off his leotard. So that was technically what the writers thought was the <laughs> button to that story. And I, I just somehow missed it is all. Uh, now this week I want to welcome a new Tutti Fruity, Helen M. Hi, Helen. Welcome. This is your official shout out and a great big thank you for supporting the show. If you want to be like Helen M., you can support the show monthly through Patreon. The links are in the show notes as well as on this episode's webpage. So if you would like to be a part of the family, we would love to have you. Now, let's get started with the show. Season 7, Episode 4, Teacher, Teacher, and we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Ed Budd. I'm so glad you're here for this episode, Ed, because it's about teachers. And I've always been fascinated because I don't know why on earth anyone would want to do that or be a flight attendant. Those are the two jobs <laughs> that I don't understand. Good, good question. Yes, you uh, have. You, we've we've joined already in progress. I'm here with Matthew and with our special guest, the wonderful actor, singer, dancer, improviser, hand model, and educator, Ed Bud. Welcome, Ed. Thank you. thank you. After that introduction, I think we're out of time. So yeah. thanks for coming. <laughs> I, think, I think from now on on your show, every guest you have, you should be like, well, our next guest needs no introduction. And you just start the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, <laughs> this week, we all have watched Facts of Life Season 7, Episode 4, called Aptly Teacher Teacher. See you see what happened there. We we have a teacher on the show. Uh, That's because, why I'm here. Yes, and I thought it was because of my uh, time that I spent working in a dog food processing company. <laughs> did, for realsies, did you? No. Oh, okay. well, that'd be great if I had like two uh, points in the storyline that actually that, lined up. Hey, that'd be great. The heck is, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure you guys have a format or something, but I was like, what the heck is Natalie doing? What what is this what, all about? This what? dog food company. <laughs> What the, what is, oh, oh what? God, I'm such an idiot. Of course, you were referring to the show and Natalie, the dog food company. I'm not there no, no, it's yet. Fine. I, like I said, you guys must have some sort of format that you follow or something like that. But I don't want to uh, I don't want to step on that. No, nope, nope. David is just generally this dim when it yeah. comes to 
that's that's true. That's very true. (laughs) Well, actually, we do have a little bit of a format just in that it is sequentially we go through the episode scene by scene. Uh, But before we can do that, Ed, we have to talk about who is responsible for this. As in, this episode was directed by John Boab. He's the in-house director who has been directing and will continue to direct the most of the episodes for The Facts of Life. Uh, The writers are, whoa, this is quite a mixed bag here. We have story by Sherry Eichen and Bill Steinkellner. The wonderful writing team of Eichen and Steinkellner. I can't oh, well tell you. renowned, well renowned. <laughs> they are in fact married, and later her credits would become uh, as she would be credited, Sherry Steinkellner. So this is actually the the talented comedic stylings of the Steinkellners. Hmm. Uh, but they only came up with a story. They're like, no, 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 we're the idea people. You, you other fuckers, work out the details. We're the magic makers. It's your job. <laughs> to, to, to flesh out this gold that we've just handed you where Joe becomes the teacher. Yeah. Look, we know that Natalie's going to be in a processing plant, but what kind? <laughs> That's on you. That's yep. on you. It's got writes be itself. Plant. Yep. Comedy gold writes itself. You're welcome. <laughs> but actually, the Steinkellners would go on to write and produce episodes of Cheers, Just Shoot Me, Hope and Gloria, And this is the second of two episodes that they have written for The Facts of Life. The first one being All By Herself, season five, episode 22, best known as the last time we ever see Cousin Jerry. Oh, yeah. Jerry Mm -hmm. Jewell. Jerry Jewell. Jerry Jewell in concert, actually, at my college. She came and did a stand-up. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Did you get to meet her? She photographed my friend Lou's hat. (laughs) Oh, did she? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah and, uh, she was a nice lady. And by all accounts, it's a great episode. And when I say all accounts, I mean, Matthew and I agree, it's a good episode. So therefore, oh, go. it is empirically good. Um, but yeah, no, the, the grunt workers in this, the guys who had to actually put the pen to paper, the wonderful Bruce Ferber and David Lerner. Now, these guys ha- have written and or produced shows like Bosom Buddies, Laverne and Shirley, House Calls, Webster, Duet, Open House, a lot of home improvements and a lot of growing pains, plus Sabrina the Teenaged Witch. And uh, this is their first of two episodes that they have written for Facts of Life. The next one will be, <laughs> we can't wait for this, Christmas Baby, the Christmas episode coming up where Blair's mother has a baby on Christmas. Oh, it is one of the biggest pieces of shit. That, <laughs> that because it's told from the baby's perspective. Again, here's the gold. We're going we're to give a 70-year-old woman a baby on Christmas. And we want the story told from her, the baby's perspective, and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the interesting thing to note is that uh, both Bruce Ferber and David Lerner are credited as producers for all of the episodes this season. So they are in the writer's room. They are contributing. Uh, they're, they're a part of the voice of the show right now. Uh, and one thing, a, a, a funny detail that I missed about Sherry Eichen Steinkellner. Gee, why didn't she just use both those names? She was one of the actresses who was part of the company on the variety show, Pink Lady and Jeff. No. 
You know what I'm talking about? Yes, it's legendary, Pinglidian Jeff. Um, (laughs) The idea was that it was, oh, my God, the hottest act in Japan. They're everything. They sing. They're terrific. We're going to bring them over. And they somehow. Give them a Vegas comic. And they they pair them up with a Vegas comic because they got off the plane and didn't speak a word of English. Nobody, it didn't occur to anybody to check and see if they were uh, in any way fluent in the language they were going to need to be performing. And so the jokes, you can tell that they're they're working and stumbling their way through them phonetically as best they can. And the, the timing is just awful and the jokes don't land. Well, at the same time, wasn't Tony Orlando and Don, they, didn't they have a big show on television at the time? Uh, Pink Lady and Jeff was 1980. So that oh, was kind of so. late in the variety show game. So yeah, I think Orlando Tony Orlando and Don had already gone off the air. Yeah. But uh, there are episodes on YouTube. It is it is a train wreck you cannot look away from. Uh, but after about 10 minutes, you're like, yeah, I'm going to look away from this now. That's all my business, all my nuts and bolts, as I call it. Um, now, okay. are you familiar with the show? Did you watch the show growing up? Because you, I believe, are a year younger than I am. Are you I'm not? 51. Yeah, I'm 52. Yeah, you were born in 69. Yeah, right on. I was born on the same day that Sesame Street debuted on the air. Ah. So I'm as old as Big Bird. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And, and to answer your question, yes, I watch Facts of Life all the time because I had a younger sister and an older sister all about 13 months apart so even if i wanted to play the 1980s i'm too cool and i'm too macho to watch this um i didn't have that option so i would watch anyway because we had one tv and that's what was on it and i loved it i loved it as a kid uh that was a great show and i believe you are what uh behavioral psychologists would call a a heterosexual I am, yes. And uh, therefore, I have to always ask my straight, Matthew, don't make that face. We can see you. It's on Zoom. We're out there, Matthew. We're out there. You have to accept us. <laughs> there are heterosexuals in the world. Okay. I don't care what straight people do behind closed doors. I just don't want it rubbed in my face. As long as we don't straight it all <laughs> up in you. And, and I, I like straight people. I don't think you should be voting or raising children. But that's I'm, just me. No. Oh, I, no. Oh, no. You do. I'm impression, Ed. I'm impressed. Oh, Charlotte Ray. I can't do. I can't do it more than for one minute. One minute. Like yeah, most pizza. people just go girls and think girls. that's it. Girls. That's like, do you do you do you do an impression of Ronald Reagan? Well, and well, that's all you get. Nancy and I. Yeah. Well. well yeah. yeah. Um, is it is it our night to make love, mommy? Okay, that's a little, that's a little <laughs> private. <laughs> but oh, there's the face again, Matthew. So oh. I will continue the original thought string uh, process going on. Is so anyway, I always so like heterosexual. I, I like to ask all of my straight male guests, whom did you have a crush on, Ed? <clears throat> it's weird because I think I kind of harbored like kind of an attraction to Joe um, because of her. Penis. Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. And mostly that. Uh, I don't know. There was just kind of that that attitude that I really liked, but I I didn't say that honestly. To be one hundred percent honest, uh, when other friends of ours would talk about it, we'd all talk about Blair, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't really want to talk about Blair. I wasn't. I didn't find Blair all that attractive, to be honest with you. And yet, I didn't really stand up for Joe either. To be one hundred percent honest. 
you would be surprised how many guys favor Joe. They say just what you said. It's like, I know we were supposed to be into Blair. Like that was basically handed to us and shoved in our face because she was so beautiful, et cetera. But character wise, it seems that guys are much more drawn to Joe's honesty, to her bluntness, to her no bullshit qualities. Yeah, I like that. So before we get into the synopsis of the show, I do need to point out that, Ed, our opening theme uh, is evolving. Because remember, we had the Eastland years at the school. Then we had the two seasons at Edna's Edibles. Edna's Edibles burned down and we have just, as of last week, opened the new shop that replaced Edna's Edibles, this place called Over Our Heads. This Spencer's Gifts in a college town. And this episode is the first time we see over our heads behind the title card, The Facts of Life. And yet don't see the shop at all <laughs> in the episode. No. Is this over our heads? Is this where we get George Clooney joining the show? Yes, sir. That was my next comment, is that in the opening theme, sometimes we get George Clooney and sometimes we get Mackenzie Aston because they are both uh, semi-regulars on the show. But in this case, we get neither of them. So neither of them has a credit in the opening. And in place of where we would see them, we have the shot of Blair looking all beaten up in her goddess outfit after she got attacked by the mascot when she and Joe were arguing about not getting a five. I forget what fucking episode it was. And, um, and then the other one that we get is oddly, the other clip is the one of Natalie and Joe singing and i use the term loosely we need a little christmas in their santa elf yeah. and scrooge outfits it's like that's the clip you're picking to that in the opening yeah. theme yeah yeah not them yeah, I, I, seated around I the piano they, there was a tableau at the end of that episode of them all sitting around the piano la 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 singing it could have been that what the fuck i don't know but i definitely remember that little dance number that you're you're referring to Oh, yeah. I remember that being a little odd. Yep. The TV trope of the talent show within the sitcom. Oh, my goodness. It was a it was a, a Lulu. That's for sure. So, Ed, at this point in the podcast, this is where I like to put our guest on the spot and ask you if you could provide a one to two sentence synopsis, just really short, uh, something like you might see in a TV guide about what happened in this week's episode. All right, uh, I would say uh, in this episode, um, the girls learn lessons from each other and Joe learns lessons from her students. In this episode, the Facts of Life Future Teacher. Oh, lovely. Good. Very special episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk more about you being a teacher and about your mm -hmm. career. Uh, in just a little bit, Ed. But as of now, we are ready to jump in. Anything else about the opening theme, Matthew, that we haven't covered before we get into it? No, I was just thinking like those choices of, of, of clips, I think, are to kind of promote this new version of the show where every episode is specific to that episode and nothing else. And by that, I mean, it's like, look at the wackiness that these kids get involved with. Look, here they are dressed like Scrooge and an elf. And here mm. they are. Um, here they are bumping into each other when one of them's been beaten up. You know, it's <laughs> like, so I think it's like, 
I think it's like their attempt to show them like the, oh, the wacky scenarios that you're going to see, because that's basically what the rest of the show is, is every episode is unique to itself and mm-hmm. no other episode. Yeah. It's like the Golden Girls and Growing Pains. None of those characters grew throughout the throughout the year. And these characters are now done growing. True. So now, like, B. Arthur was the same at the beginning of the Golden Girls as she was on the day she got married and left the show. Mm-hmm. Rue McClanahan was the same as she was the from beginning to end. And now from season nine, seven to season nine, these girls are done growing. So now it's just putting them in situations, putting these young adult females in situations. Mm-hmm. In in classic 80s sitcom mm-hmm. uh, style, because that's that's what the that's what the fad of the of the day was. Now it's the 80s. We don't need all that heavy thinker shit. We're all on coke. We just need <laughs> we just need 22 minutes of of entertainment. That's all we can handle. <laughs> and Pink Lady and Jeff. <laughs> yes. Lady and Jeff. So let's get moving with uh, synopsis. We start the scene in this classroom. A classroom with 12 students. Uh, how old do we presume them to be? Are they third grade? Do we think they're like 10? Uh, second grade. I would say second, maybe third. Okay. Um, leaning more towards second. Okay. Pretty cool. Yeah. But it's got 12 students in it. We have an older teacher. Um, I'll talk more about her in a little bit. But we have this uh, teacher who's telling the kids that she's turning her class over to a new student teacher. And that happens to be Joe. It is Nancy McGeehan uh, looking amazing, actually not quite as stand-up comic-y as she looks later. But yeah, the 80s clothes are really in full swing. And oh my God, I love it so much. So I much. love how uh, Blair 80s'd up later on the episode, 80s'd up uh, uh, the factory uh, uniform that Natalie was wearing. Mm, yeah. yeah, she pops the collar and puts the, the, the hat. hat a little side. There it is. That's fashion now. It's like, I guess. okay, yes. Um, so... Um, we do have a funny line where the teacher's like, so, uh, peace out bitches. She's your teacher now, but she does say, I will be around. I'm everywhere, which was very funny for a a teacher. This woman, this is clearly an actress in her sixties. Um, so then we see Joe interacting with the kids, uh, a little bit uncomfortable. Nancy McKeon selling it, being a little, well, uh, you're talking about Brazil. So uh, what is its main export? And trying to get them toward the answer of coffee. And uh, the kids constantly asking, are we going to be tested on this? And um, and it's it's going okay. It's not terrible. But later we find out from Joe when she does get home that to her, it didn't click. The kids weren't there she didn't connect with them um uh but uh, but but before that I, I i just didn't i just got ahead of myself which i don't like to do um so then it, we dissolve to later in the same scene and it's three o'clock so it was 9 a.m it was the beginning of the school day and now it's three o'clock it's like have they just been sitting there for all these hours and has joe not had a break or has the teacher not helped her or Wow, that was a uh, pretty crazy. Um, so then uh, she's trying to talk about the sun's rays forming a rainbow, and the kids are just at this point. You can tell they're brain dead. They're just they are not there. They don't want to be there. I mean, who did in second or third grade? And then Joe says, 
so that's how you form a rainbow and doesn't get a response. She goes, rainbow and a banana, rainbow and sex, just as the bell rings and the kids file out. And in comes the other teacher, like, did you just say rainbow and sex? <laughs> what the fuck was that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, what the fuck was that? To a group of kids, not even teens or tweens. What a weird thing to have her throw out there. Don't you agree? Wow, there is so much to unpack in what you just went over. <laughs> I, I, I mean, from a teacher's perspective, I'm going to let Matthew go first. Um, okay. Go ahead. Oh, I have I have no questions about her her skills or anything, uh, I, but I just want to I want to know more about the whole student teacher process because I had a student teacher when I was in first grade. My I had this eight hundred year old teacher who brought in this student teacher for the year, and it wasn't like she just turned over the class to her and walked out and was like, "Peace out, bitches. See you at three o'clock." Like. <laughs> You're with a student teacher who, as far as I know, has never been in a group with kids before. So peace out, whatever, who gives an F? So I have more questions about that than her finally just mentioning sex to the second graders, because later on, I have even more questions about them going over fucking World War Two <laughs> with with a group of second graders. But anyway, <laughs> so Ed, this is your area of, right. of expertise. <laughs> so most of the time I was watching it going, it's just a TV show. It's just a TV show. Relax. It's just a TV show. Yes, you have to do that with this. You have to do that. <laughs> as Matthew pointed out, there is no way on God's green earth or anywhere else that a, um, a actual presiding teacher um, would take in a student teacher and then just say, here she is on her first day and you've never met her before, bye, to a, especially to a bunch of elementary school kids and leave them all day. Well, what was Grace doing all day? Where, but, where did she go? I know. Was it grading papers? It's second grade. There's no papers. Did she you go have... into like some <laughs> secret room where she has monitors and she can watch what Ralph is writing on his desk, you know? And and is she, uh, I'm always watching. She's like, well, was it Roz from Monster Sink? Um, so yeah, you don't do that, you know? I mean, the kids, when, when we have to duck out, and I'm talking about high school, I teach high school. We got to duck out to go pee. I have to call the office, you know, if it's not in between classes or something like that. Sometimes you get an emergency, you know, and if it's not between classes or I have to go across and try to flag down another teacher in the hallway to cover my kids for a heartbeat of a second, because you never know what's going to happen. And, mm -hmm. and I'm going to leave them with this kid who I don't even know, junior in college, a junior in college. She's not even a grad student. But exactly. And you it's know, like, do you I, know how messed up I was and as when I was a junior in college? <laughs> you know how much I mean? coke so, you were doing in the eighties? Well, yeah. Saying. So <laughs> then they they uh, they leeward this kid, and then Ralph, the kid in the front, who by mm -hmm. the way, endeared himself to me more than the kid who did the World War II report did. I wish that that we would have followed a connection between Joe and Ralph. Yeah, um, not Joe and Stanley. Fuck Stanley, yeah, that little yeah, asshole. What's, what, what's that kid? I'm, yeah, okay, great. Um, but instead, <laughs> Ralph, I didn't like Ralph in the beginning because I was like, he's a discipline issue. And why would the teacher leave discipline issues in the classroom with this 
you know, because now you're not talking about how to teach. Now you're talking about something that we call in the in education as classroom management. Because mm-hmm. a huge part of your classroom is what's called classroom management. Getting the kids not just to give them the curriculum, but getting them to absorb it in a way that, you know, now that being said, um, the idea of her going right up until three o'clock without a break, once again, yeah. I, I really need to know a little bit more about the elementary school world, but I think that's actually pretty true. Um, those things where you're going to, kids, everybody open up your book, you're going to read this article, right? And it takes about 20 minutes to read the article. That's that teacher's 20 minutes of going, okay, that was, oh, that was a morning. Yeah. You got 20 mm-hmm. minutes now as they're reading, you know, we to, had, to breathe. We- we had a lunch break and recess back then, but the teacher was still with us for recess, but there was, yep. there were bathroom breaks that she would give us as well. I say she, because I think I only had one male teacher in my whole um, elementary school. And then that flips in high school. You wind up having all these men in teaching yeah. high school. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, and then the whole, um, what is it? Coffee, rainbow and sex. That is an offense that actually could be taken to the Educational Leadership Center and get you cited. I, I thought as much. I'm like, this, is, this seems really uncool. I've, I've talked about sex in my classroom. I've used the word sex in my classroom, but in reference to something that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're talking about, we were talking about Romeo and Juliet, and I was talking about how you know, there's a lot of controversy as to whether or not they're actually in love or lust because at the time uh, when they're in the, their age of 13 and 15, you know, their sexual hormones are raging. And I've said sexual hormones are raging in the classroom, but I'm making the point of, is this truly a love story or is this something else? Yeah. I'm talking about Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother show. But to just use it as a way to try to grab the kid's attention <laughs> It's like, um, yeah, to no. think, okay, second graders, what's a what's a buzzword that's going to, you know, it's going to slap them and back into attention. Sex! <laughs> and right before the end of the day bell, where there's yeah. no time to go back and buffer what you just said and explain uh, why you just said coffee and sex. Well, I mean, not coffee and sex, rainbows and sex. Why you didn't, <laughs> why you just said that? There was no buffer time. No. Uh, rainbows and sex ring. Okay, let's go home and tell our parents about our new teacher who uses rainbows and sex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really surprised she had day two to work, but she but, was able to go to work day two. Me too. <laughs> but it's also 1984. She could have had a cigarette going in the class. She was like, they were doing lines point. of coke back then, right there. Both excellent points. Excellent points. <laughs> I remember walking by the teacher's lounge at, in my in my elementary school, and when the door would open, the cloud of smoke that came oh. out of it, like the whole hallway smelled like smoke. It was like it was like a bar in there. <laughs> I got plenty. I got plenty to say when we get to the teacher's lounge scene. Oh I'll yes. let that later. Yes. Yes. So. Then we go finally back to a familiar place. We're back at the Facts of Life house, the living room. And Ed, you don't realize this is a very special episode for many different things like the uh, Over Our Heads title card. And this is the first time we have seen the house behind the shop where they live with furniture. It was unfurnished and just recently renovated. Last time we saw it. So this is the first time we're actually seeing the full color scheme working with 
the the light blue of the rug and the medium blue of the carpeting on the stairs and then the blue plaid couch and uh, honestly it looks kind of awesome i didn't remember uh liking the way it looked as much as i did but uh it's it's quite uh lovely i'm sure it was because i don't remember it at all so the fact that it didn't stand out to me means it was good you know mm -hmm. i think yes. of 80s furniture i think of like this end up or something like that. yeah <laughs> this end up let's make furniture out of shipping crates there you go why not uh, so with this, we come to the house. Blair is standing at the kitchen table, sorting through something. And later we realize Mrs. Garrett is also sitting at the table, but we don't get a true establishing shot that shows us she's there until she talks. And you're like, what the, f oh, that's her. Uh, but they're sorting through mail. That's what we're later going to find out. Uh, Tootie is on hand. And before Joe comes home from work, Natalie comes home from work. And Natalie is dressed in a onesie, looking like she has just come back from working at a Lubrac in an auto garage. And yet we learn that this is her uniform for the job that she is working on an assembly line at a dog food company. Can you guys explain this to me? Is this some sort of journey that Natalie's been on, like exploring different careers and stuff? Is this something that's happening right now in the story arc? Yes, it is, Ed, which is interesting enough because this bitch has a job running a business that is next door to this building. Exactly. So the fact that she's trying to find a part-time job to make money when you are a business owner, she's the only one, by the way. And let's just real quick mention, how easy was this week for Kim Fields? Oh my bitch God. Had, bitch had two lines and sat on a sofa for the <laughs> show. <laughs> this is a great week for her. Yeah, yes. but, uh, nice, easy ride. But fuck. But, but, yes, so Natalie's, yes. not, Natalie's not doing this as like a sense of finding herself or exploring. She's just looking for extra cash. I, I'm, she's trying to get life experiences because she's she's going to be a writer, but she didn't go to college this season. She was supposed to go to Europe, but she gave all of her Europe money to Mrs. Garrett to rebuild this fucking shop as she is a partner in. And yet she is just graduated high school. She's a business anyway. So yes, yeah, it's yes and no. <laughs> uh, okay. It's yeah. it is. I, I would say yes, it is a journey that Natalie is on. But this is the very beginning of the journey, Ed, where Natalie is the first of the girls not to go to college. Blair and Joe have been in college. They're all they're both juniors now. Tootie is a senior in high school. Uh, so this is the first time any of the girls has not been in school. And they're using this as an opportunity, and they will continue to do so, to have Natalie taking on different jobs and feeling her way and doing different things. Uh, and, and I absolutely echo Matthew's uh, thoughts and sensibility that you are the partner in this business. You used to work for Mrs. Garrett when it was the bakery. Now, this new shop that just kind of all came together over the last three weeks, you are a partner in this. So you technically could make promoting the business and seeing the success of the store your full-time job that could conceivably sustain you and your friends and business partners. Just saying. 
Don't say anything bad to Natalie. She can have a teamster over here in five minutes. Yes. <laughs> and I think that was a cute running thing where Natalie, the, the idea is that the, the rough and tumble people that she's now working alongside on the assembly line, the, the blue collar ruffians that she's picking up their language and their toughness and their bluntness. And honestly, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah they pack it for freshness or whatever she says. Mm -hmm. Yes. So then before we get to Joe coming in, uh, we've already talked about Natalie's outfit. Uh, again, a little odd for working at a factory, but uh, okay. It's, it's a onesie and a hat. It looks more like the, the person that comes out and checks your oil at the old uh, Texaco station in 1954. I think every other costume in this episode is a home run. I mean, it is well, 80s-tastic. Very 80s-tastic, 80s yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. We have Blair wearing a, a two-piece, sort of a knit sweater top and skirt that match, mm. and they look lovely on her, the soft of the pink. Tootie's got a bold print sweater that's got black and white and blue, and it goes great with her blue pants while she's sitting on the blue couch. Um, Mrs. Garrett is really hip. Mrs. Garrett's wardrobe is so modern compared to how matronly she had been these previous seasons. Mrs. Garrett is wearing black skirt, but she's in a white dress shirt with a popped collar, a thin black tie that's not tied all the way, and a bright magenta sweater vest with a, a cut to it that has like built-in shoulder pads even though it doesn't have sleeves. And it's just, it is so cool as far as it being very modern looking and no. so not matronly. But the bigger issue we have going on here, Ed, is this is the first time Charlotte Ray's hair has ever been down and not tied up in a bun for the really? entire series. She did let it down in the Facts of Life Goes to Paris TV movie, which happened in the middle of season four. But as far as on an episode of the TV show, never have we ever seen the length of Mrs. Garrett's hair. It has always, always been in a bun. Or as I sometimes like to call it when it's too tight, uh, her balloon knot. Well, Mrs. Garrett still has the sides of her hair pulled back away from her face, but the length is coming down and we can see that now her hair is just below shoulder length before it was much longer, which is why it always had to be tied up. If they let it down, down, it would have looked like Anne Margaret or something crazy like that. But then I'm Joe sorry, comes- I can't get the image now of my, in my head of Charlotte Ray dancing like Anne Margaret. <laughs> in like capri pants in viva las vegas the, the, the dance numbers were just got like the floppy hands but yep. it's all charlotte ray like <laughs> and margaret's body doing the dance number somebody out there in the internet please deep fake that i don't make even that remember happen. what you just said but you just said something that put together mrs garrett with Anne margaret and all of a sudden that image just came to my head and i <laughs> oh my god yes so then Joe does come home from work and basically she's a little bit down because she's like, Ugh, I wasn't uh, really getting them to understand the material and I don't think they were into me. And oh, and by the way, when Joe comes in and now we are looking at all of them together in the same room in their costumes, this is something we've had problems with in the past, costuming wise, is that 
they are all dressed for winter. This first broadcast in October. So that's a time of year when they would be starting to wear warmer clothing. We've had Facts of Life shows where one person is wearing a thin silk short sleeve blouse and another person has got on a fucking full length fur coat standing next to them. So uh, that is a lovely thing to realize the, the cohesiveness of season within the costuming. Uh, just, just putting that out there. Uh, anyway, Mrs. Garrett is wonderfully encouraging. Um, Joe's like, ah, I just didn't grab him, you know? And Mrs. Garrett's like, you'll grab him tomorrow. And then she hands her a letter as she exits. Mrs. Garrett, that is, exits. So while uh, Blair and Joe are talking, and Blair is being also very uh, encouraging of her, Joe opens up this letter and, uh, well, let me stop talking here. Who else wants to help me synopsize and talk about what the letter is? Matthew? You're the guest, and I actually wrote nothing down about this scene because I was so bored. <laughs> well, this was, this was a letter uh, from JTI. At this point, we don't know what JTI is. We find out later it is what? a typewriter. Not uh, the JTI. Well, oh, my God, right. they're a big, important company, aren't they? Yeah, well, I thought so, because when they first said JTI, I paused it for a second, and I Googled JTI going, what company is that? I think it was like uh, a takeoff on IBM. Yeah, probably. Um, and because, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the, the letter, well, T doesn't really match. But, you know, you know about like 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. About Hal, the computer? Yes. Yes. Hal's name comes from the letter before IBM. Oh. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, so either it was something like that, but it wasn't. But so, IBM started as a typewriter company. But at first I was like, what is this? What is this thing? And then, yeah, that's what the letter was. And then she has to make this big decision about, you know, I think it's funny that you get a letter saying you have an interview. Mm -hmm. um, so when would that, so it's just up to the mail. I, oh, this interview is next Wednesday. Oh no, wait, that was last Wednesday. Oh, the interview, now it's late, you know? And, <laughs> but who, yeah. You don't mail that information, you call somebody. It's, yeah, it's weird. And I mean, this is such a typical sitcom thing where the letter is from a recruiter looking to meet with her. And it does uh, in the verbiage of the letter say, uh, because you were so highly recommended by the Dean of Students, we want to discuss with you our various training programs. There, there's a great blanket umbrella term that is not specific enough that we have to really put any thought into it. There's no, uh, no job there, it's just, just your trainee. Yeah, talk about training programs. So yes. Joe says, well, I'm, I'm too busy to deal with this, fuck this. And Blair, this is showing how the Blair and Joe relationship has evolved, but is still what it always has been. Where, where Blair says very diplomatically, again, hear me out. Joe, you work hard and you always have. I'd like to see you get what you deserve. Meaning this could be a big time job for a big time corporation and you could financially benefit from it. And Joe's um, response is, eh, nah, nah. and Blair says, look, if you're thinking of becoming a teacher, the pay is low. You could get laid off. You could get knifed, <laughs> she says. And uh, Joe basically 
um, does she say, is it later that she says I'm not committed to being poor? But, um, but anyhow, Blair says she thinks Joe should give it some thought. Um, and then another, uh, certainly another term of the times, uh, you're competing in that classroom against gremlins, ghoulies, and goonies. And which, which movie do they highlight out of gremlins, goonies, and ghoulies? Gremlins, an incredible success in the 80s. Matter Loved. of fact, one might even say a cult classic. Loved. Goonies, even a higher status of cult classic. Mm -hmm. Matthew hates that movie, but Matthew is wrong. But, Continue. But you have to acknowledge it's cult classic status. Because a lot of people, um, it's got the t-shirts and everything. Goonies? I don't hate it. I don't hate Goonies. I love Goonies. It's a terrible movie. Like Grease, it's a terrible movie. But I love oh, yeah. it. Okay. Oh, I forgot. There yes. Movie, there was a movie out at that time called Ghoulies. Yeah. And it was awful and never remembered. And I completely forgot about it until I saw that moment. And they were all like, oh, yeah, Ghoulies. I love this one. I love that. They started going off on Ghoulies, which was, I don't even. All the ones you had a choice from, you went with Ghoulies. And wasn't it just a poor man's gremlins? Wasn't that what it was trying to be? I don't think I ever saw it because I, who wants to? David, David, did you not remember during the season premiere episode where we talked about the lowest grossing films of all time, I mentioned Ghoulies. That's right. We have did. discussed Ghoulies. That's why I oh, laughed I so hard when they mentioned it. Is the uh, the trailer, the commercial trailer, the commercial on television where they had one of the Ghoulies coming out of a toilet going, and I was like, I don't want to see that. No, I'm, I'm out. I'm totally yeah. out. Terrible. So with the note of Joe, I'd like you to at least, you should at least consider this big job from this big company. Then we go to the next day. Joe is now wearing her striped blue and gray stand-up comic getup with the rolled up sleeves, the light blue tie. She is ready to do her tight 10 over at the laugh hole. And then uh, the kids are passing something and she intercepts it. And it's, I guess it's like a coloring book, but it's Bugs Bunny. And she's like, oh, I like Bugs Bunny. And the kids are like, what? You're a grown-up. You grown-ups don't like. And she's like, I'm part of a new breed, is her response, which gets a laugh. But then they start talking about, well, I prefer the Flintstones. And then uh, they start going back and forth about uh, one of the kids is obsessed with the Flintstones, with Barney. And again, the vaudevillian writers for this show, <laughs> Ed. This show is full of references that no teenager in the 80s would have ever made, let alone a second grader. Last season, they went to the drive-in because none of them could wait to see whatever happened to baby Jane. <laughs> so it, it's that bullshit. So uh, my ears perked up as far as the 1984 reference to Bugs Bunny. And then I was like, the Flintstones? Yeah. That was in the 60s, for Christ's sake. And yeah. you know how many popular cartoons were on in 1984 for kids well, we discussed I mean, that morning that was, was like blowing yes, up that was the year it could have been transformers it could have been anything other than yeah cabbage patch kids the yeah stones yeah pac-man yeah any of those things it could have been but um now the only thing i'll say is that the flintstones kind of never went away there were always Neither bugs bunny 
yeah. different. There were always reruns and different versions of them. But but yeah, this is like kids saying, really, I prefer Pogo. Really? I like reading Handicap every morning. They're learning fractions Barney. because Joe has says, what's more important than learning fractions? Let me start the list, honey. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's when they start talking about Flintstones and 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 trademarks showing up on on their um, pencil boxes and stuff. And she makes them understand fractions by by explaining trademarks. Yeah, it's, yeah. Who gets a cut of the money that you spend for this coloring book or whatever the thing she is? She doesn't use a cherry pie. She doesn't use a, a fucking hamburger or pizza or, or anything to explain fractions to second graders. Let's talk <laughs> about who owns Barney fucking rubble. Let's talk about that, kids. <laughs> okay, so you got store owner to the guy who fucking draws him. Let's talk about Barney. Yeah. Now, turns out Bill Hanna gets a bigger cut than Joe Barbera because he had a better agent. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's it's kind of ridiculous. But the whole thing about it is where Joe didn't feel like the day before was successful. Well, clearly Joe's connecting with the children. And uh, yeah. So then our next scene is in the teacher's lounge. Wow. This is the point where I, the facts of life, Ed, has been known for its many attempts at backdoor pilots. You know what I mean when I say a backdoor uh, pilot? Yeah. This to me, yeah. when we started meeting the other people in the teacher's lounge, this is where I was like, how was this not an attempt? The amount of emphasis these characters get, the amount of screen time, it seems like they were introducing them to us with greater intentions. Do you agree? And I agree. I thought that too, if, because these were not unknown actors. No, these not were, least. These were like guest star roles that you would, you would have these actors in. Joyce Boulefant and, and what's this pussy and what's her guts? Um, <laughs> That's exactly it, Matthew. They're not just faces we've seen before. We've seen them in in a lot of things where they're a little more famous than the typical folks who pop up. Yeah. Um, starting off with the African-American teacher, Jason Bernard is the actor and he is going on about a salad bar is not a salad bar if it doesn't have radishes. And he has been in, oh my God, tons of episodes of Cagney and Lacey. He was in All of Me, the Steve Martin, Lily Tomlin movie as the blind guy. Uh, 72 episodes of Herman's Head on Fox. And recently he was in Liar Liar, the Jim Carrey movie. That's his most recent acting credit from 1997. Um, and that's because he died uh, in 1996. Oh, at, at age 58. Good Lord, he died young. So he died right after Liar Liar. Um, yeah, like that wrapped and he passed away and then it released actually after he died. Yeah. But yeah, he's one of those faces you're like, oh, he's he's somebody. And then uh, the original older teacher, Irene Tedro. Irene mm -hmm. Tedro has been on a ton of things. I remember her from being on Three's Company. Grace. Oh, was she in Greece? No, no. Grace was the name of her character. Oh, Grace. I thought you said Greece. It's like, no. was she in Greece? Yeah. God, yeah, back. she was in Greece. She played one of the kids from high school since they were all in their 40s. <laughs> she was a freshman. She was a freshman. Yeah, exactly. She had a pregnancy scare too, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, we're talking tons and tons and tons of series. This is a 203 credit career that ended in 1989, but started in 1940. So over a 49 year career, which is insane. Um, but she was on a couple of episodes of Mary Tyler Moore. She was in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Uh, and, and more important than anything, she was on Punky Brewster, guys. Yeah, she was. Yeah. The third of our holy trifecta of teachers here is none other than the immensely recognizable face of Joyce Bulafont, who at this point, this is 1985, Joyce Bulafont has done approximately 40 million game shows throughout the 70s and early 80s at this point. She has been in everybody's living room uh, not only as the role of Murray's wife, Marie Slaughter on the Mary Tyler Moore show, but it's like, she's, she's kind of really famous. I perceive. Do you? She was famous enough for me to see her on the screen and go, Oh yeah. Hey, that lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. That's about as far as I can go. Yep. And uh, I here's another where I knew that lady from, but I do, I, but I, I definitely recognized her. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know. I forgot this. She played David Spade's mother on Just Shoot Me in the 90s. Really? Yeah. Uh, but in addition to being a game show staple in the 70s and 80s, uh, at this point in her life, she is married to William Asher, who had previously produced, directed, created, bewitched with his then wife, Elizabeth Montgomery. So okay. William Asher, Elizabeth That's Montgomery. Crazy. No more Elizabeth. Now we have Joyce Bulafont. Okay, Joyce Bulafont will divorce William Asher. And then in 2002, she will marry Roger Perry, the actor who played Mr. Parker, the, the head of the school at Eastland, who was Mrs. Garrett's antagonist throughout seasons three, four, and five. I mean, mind blown, dudes. Okay. That's right. Uh, any whoozle. And, and she would remain married to him. She's still alive, but he passed away and they stayed married until his death. I think he died in 2018. Um, so Joe comes into the teacher's lounge and starts trying to talk shop with them about, you know, I read something in this month's educational magazine <laughs> about techniques for teaching kids and they're all like yeah yeah whatever we're talking about salad bars we gotta fucking get this shit nailed down okay if you're telling me there's no radishes at the salad bar it's not a salad bar and Joyce Bielefant's like what about olives come on olives and it's anyway you had stories about the teacher's lounge Ed we're in the I teacher's lounge just the mystery that uh, is the teacher's lounge to people who aren't teachers. Um, the biggest um, misconception is that there is a teacher's lounge. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you went to a school, Matthew, you were talking about how when you walked by the teacher's lounge, smoke billowed out. Now, when I went to high school, not only were the teachers allowed to smoke in their offices, but um, we, were, we had a smoking lounge for the students behind the school. And so that's how long I went to high school. But um, what you probably passed by was the office for a department. Like the English department would have their, their office, there would have, but there wasn't any lounge where teachers would sit around. 
My question oh, is this school that I went to was built in the twenties. It was a physical, it was across from the library. It was the teacher's lounge. And it was a, a bit, a room with couches and a kitchen, like a break area, just like yeah. this one. So it, sure. it literally was a teacher's lounge. Well, that doesn't <laughs> exist anymore to my no. knowledge. No, not um, at all. I mean, first of all, nobody has time to lounge. I mean, even if you have, <laughs> even if you have a planning period, you're probably doing X, Y, or Z for that planning period. And then you have six minutes between classes for change of bell. And then if you're working elementary school, I don't even know when you would take that break. That's your lunch. And people are like, well, you get an hour for lunch, right? I don't get no hour for lunch. I get 22 minutes. For, no, uh, yeah, because by the time you get the lunch and whatever, and you get to wherever you're going to have lunch, you got about 22 minutes before you got to get, and you have to get to your classroom before the next class starts. There's no lounge time. And also, if I was sitting in a lounge and I was being forced to be in a conversation about salad bars, I would <laughs> not be in that conversation because I would have walked away. Yeah. But the same can be said for the geeky teacher that walks up and says, did you read the new article in Educational Weekly that uh. says, okay, you know what? I'm here to check my mail. I'm here to get my stuff out of the fridge. And then I got some other stuff I got to do. Bye. But what <laughs> that would make terrible TV. <laughs> that would make awful TV if you did it in reality. Like, hey, look at that guy checking his mail. Now getting his little bag out of the fridge and then going to his classroom. <laughs> wow, that's gripping. You know? Yeah. <laughs> when I was in elementary school and I hear maybe it was different, but like we were in the same classroom all day. But like when we went to gym, the teacher, that was the teacher's free time. And again, probably her planning period. Or when we went to um, the library, we had a, a, like Mondays and Wednesdays, we went to the library. And when we were at the library, we were the librarian's responsibility. So the teacher would be like, I'm going to check it over and have a cigarette at the, at right, the lounge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or we were in sure. art class. We went to art class and yeah. that was their time. So that's like, the way it really works. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you have these little moments. You don't have any real downtime. Right. But who's sitting around the fucking teachers on, on these couches just have, oh, <laughs> having a cigarette? Let me talk to you about radishes. <laughs> no. So no, wow. that, that just wouldn't happen. Joe does mention about deciding not to meet with this recruiter and it's the veteran. It's uh, Grace, the older teacher who is like, what, did, did they offer you a job? And she's like, well, I don't think an actual job, but they want to talk to me. And she says, you know, you should at least consider it. She says, being a teacher can be rewarding, but it also has its drawbacks. And she points out that she still drives a 72 Vega. That yeah. financially, she buying a new car has not been in the stars for her for 13 years. And she does say, I started teaching when there weren't that many career opportunities for women. She said, I took on other jobs over the summer, but I always wanted to come back to it. This is what I like doing. But nowadays, women have a lot more opportunities. You'd be crazy not to at least do some research there so um and it ends it goes to commercial on this you know not quite a very dramatic point but it she just says joe i think you should give it some serious thought and that's when we we go away and act one of the show ends um so it, so it is uh, very interesting it's like okay joe <sighs> joe is now faced with this quandary of <sighs> i'm a junior in college do I make a decision now to become a teacher, which clearly is an irreversible decision, 
Or do I talk to a recruiter? Do I have a conversation with somebody from a company over something? I don't even know what the fuck it is right now. It's like, oh, the heightened reality of the sitcom. Isn't it delightful? And this yes. conversation is going to clearly lead to a job. I'm a junior in high school and I own a business. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, thank you. That's coming up. I was, I've got that in my notes later. Oh my God. But we're at commercial right now. Commercial time, Ed, is where we like to get to know our guests a little bit better awesome. and talk to you and get kind of a mictour through your life and your career. And in particular, you, where you went from being a performer to being an educator. So Ed, tell me, where were you born? I was born in Beaufort, South Carolina, um, and on uh, the military base uh, Paris Island. My dad was a, and I guess will always be, even though he's passed a, a Marine. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so I was born there, but we left when I was two months old and we moved to New York. And from the Bronx to um, to Mid Hudson Valley, spent most of my life growing up in Mid Hudson Valley. Moved back down to Manhattan, and then I was out on the road for three years, and then Florida. Uh huh. So you consider Mid Hudson Valley to be your, yeah, your growing yeah, yeah, up, yeah. your hometown, little, as it were. Little town called Wappingers Falls. So where did you uh, go to school? Like, where did the theater bug hit you, and then where did you study oh. your craft? Oh. Well, when I was uh, in junior high school, well, I, I was in fourth grade. I was in a play. I was in some plays with the school and uh, I went to a Catholic school. Then I went to public school for junior high and I wound up get, getting in a lot of trouble and uh, getting a lot of detention. And my sister, uh, she said, you know, Eddie, you're going to stay after school anyway. You might as well stay after school for something you like, maybe theater. And I was like, I'm not hanging out with all those theater kids. Weird. Fags. Yeah, I was... I was <laughs> I thought of myself as cool. I was like a heavy metal cool guy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then it was eighth grade and I, um, and I went down to the auditorium after school one day and they were having auditions for Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Match Girl. Oh, and, nice. um, and so I opened the doors to the auditorium and it was just a sea of girls. And I was like, um, this is where they all go. Mm -hmm. And for a junior high guy, you know, I was like, wow. And then I looked around, I was like, I'm my only competition are theater guys. This is, mm. this is it. I hit the mother load. Yep. So I stuck around to meet the girls. And then little by little, I cared less and less about the girls and more and more about getting a good part, getting a good role in the show. Like that became much more important to me than meeting the girls. So then I would definitely say at that point, I was bitten by the theater bug when I even foregoed, you know, being with a girl in order to get a good role in the next show. You know what I mean? I think that's pretty evident that you've been bitten by the theater <laughs> boat, so. And so did you study, did you go to college? I did, I did. I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. I was a communications theater major with a minor in studio art, drawing and painting. Oh, Poughkeepsie, New York. That's not far from Peekskill. Did you ever see any I've, of the productions at Langley College where Blair and Joe go? I don't, what did they use for Langley? They, it's it's it just, just a completely studio, made up right? name. It's just a completely yeah, made up name. <laughs> um, because I I had been to Peekskill many many times. Uh, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact, that Peekskill's right outside Bear Mountain and where West Point is, and mm -hmm. uh, you would see shows at West Point all the time. So sure, uh, yeah, Peekskill's fairly well known, and everybody yeah. knows it as the Facts of Life Town. So. Yep, 
So true. So true. And so what uh, got you to Florida? What got you to Central Florida, where I know you got into improv and stand up and theme parks and all that? Working a lot during um, uh, right after college, I was uh, hustling, you know, going down to New York City and auditioning and doing all this type of stuff. And one of the auditions I went to was an audition for Disney. And I was like, oh, great. So I went there and Rush Jordan, I don't know if you remember Rush Jordan, but he was a oh. casting director back in the day. Rush wow. Jordan had seen, I did some of my standup and Rush was like, wow, that's really good stuff. And I said, well, thank you. And he goes, it's really clean. We like clean at Disney. We like clean humor at Disney. And I said, yeah, I did it last night at Stand Up New York. And I'm not sure that it was, it went over as well, but it went well here. And he was like, yeah, we like that sort of stuff. Have you ever done any comedy writing? And I said, yeah, I've done plenty of writing. He goes, we have a project right now that we're working with GE at, called the Techno Lab. We would love to get you on board to see whether or not you could spice it up with some humor. He goes, it's written by the people who did um, Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh. So I was like, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. And they're like, you're going to put you up in this hotel for two weeks. We're going to be working on the Techno Lab during those two weeks. So I was like, great. I thought I was coming down for a two-week writing stint. Oh, what that two weeks was that was two weeks we're going to set you up in a hotel for you to go find a place to live and to get wow. your life in order. Wow. That's what they do when they bring people in on these audition tours. You have two weeks at a hotel on 192 mm -hmm. to get yourself together, you know. So I go to my first meeting, I come down with just the bare essentials. I go to my first meeting and I'm sitting in this uh meeting room and Sean Cohane slides over this contract for me. I'm like, what's this? He's like, this is your contract for Technolab. I said, a year? And he goes, yeah, you're going to be one of our hosts. Get back on the phone. I'm like, dad, I need the rest of my stuff. So, <laughs> um, But I was only supposed to be here for a year. And then I was going to go out to LA, meet up with my friends, and we were going to uh, do our thing out in LA. They had been there for a year already. And they were having a really hard time out there. Um, my one friend got a fairly good part in the Demi Moore movie, G.I. Jane. Um, and that was good for him. My other friend was just working. It was very, very much like the movie Swingers. You know, they were just out there working these odd jobs, trying to make ends meet. And I looked at what I had going on here in Central Florida. I, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't get through a week without people calling me for convention work. I was working mm -hmm. for Disney at the time. You know, doing. Uh, I wound up working in every theme park there, almost every stage there. Um, well, not every stage, but a lot of stages at Disney. I got a job as Ghostbuster at Universal. I was doing all these things. And I was saying like, no to work. And I was like, going to Cali might not be a good thing for me. And then I wound up meeting the woman who I wound up marrying and staying married to for 20 years. Um, we are not anymore, but we did produce three cool kids. So, um, you know, it's whatever you want to believe in destiny. It's on the cards. That's how it all happened. And Central Florida is such a rich place with so many opportunities for talented people. And, and there are and people, and people like me as well. Yeah, it's very um, true. And even you, Ed. Um, <laughs> so you always did stand up. You, you were doing stand up before you ever came to Disney. Yeah, but not, uh, not well. Not well. My, my, um... <laughs> Where did the edumacational uh, switch in your career? I mean, that happened in the time I've known you. We've sure. we met at Sleuth's Mystery Dinner Theater. We worked together there many years and <laughs> everything old is new again. We're back doing it yep, again yep, we are. as of very recently, which is which makes me so happy. Uh, but uh, where did uh, being a drama teacher at the high school level 
come into your life? How did that come to you? Well, my, um, my experience was uh, up in New York. I was with a group of friends of ours. Every now and then we would go to, into schools and we would do what we called Helping Hands Theater, which was um, basically actors coming in and acting out scenes from whatever book they were reading in order to help w- with literature classes and because they didn't really have theater classes per se. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had done that. And so um, I came down here, did the whole thing, acting with Disney or whatever. 9-11 happened. Ooh. And uh, all of a sudden, um, the acting job started petering away. Everything started, there was a lot of problems doing that. We had two brand new kids, or we had twin boys. And then, um, then we wound up having our daughter in 2003. And my ex at the time, their mom, she was like, you know, you hustle really hard as an actor, but with this many kids, we need something if not, you know, lucrative, at least stable. So she was the one who talked to me about becoming a teacher. And I was like, I have no experience being a teacher. I don't know what you're talking about. And she, and she, she was already a teacher. teacher yeah, she had already teacher. She, I, she already had the in and knew, yeah, knew, knew the way to teacher. get there. Her mom was a teacher, her dad's teacher and all that. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm not a teacher. So then she, uh, she's like, well, she goes, what do you call helping hands theater? And I was like, oh, that was just, you know, and I explained it. She goes, that's what teaching is. And so she was like, you have your bachelor's, go take the test and see whether or not you can get a gig. And I was so, maybe she didn't say that, but I'm, you know, paraphrasing. (laughs) So I wound up doing that. And once again, I was like, this is just going to be for a year, just until I, uh, you know, uh, get more stuff with the theme parks and all that stuff. But then the idea that, you know, I didn't have to search for a job the next year or that contract time, contract talks were coming up and I wasn't uh, holding my breath and all that type of stuff. the worst. <laughs> so that comfort became very nice. I want to say that I fell in love with teaching and the kids and it was a whole Mr. Holland's Opus story, but, it, but that's not really true. What I really fell in love with was the um, more understandable corporate structure of the educational world, even though it's really messed up like the way that education works in this country, not just in Florida, but it's less messed up than the way the entertainment industry works in central Florida. That's really cool. Inspiring lives. Yeah, that's great. And Matthew, didn't you also do a show called Helping Hands Theater back when you were down in Tijuana? I don't like to talk about it, but it was experimental for the time. (laughs) And what time was this now? What decade? It was, oh God, probably the early 70s. Um, It was called Helping Hands Theater. And it was interactive before interactive was really a word, I guess. Um, You might Uh call it a hands-on experience. Um, (laughs) But yeah, well, I mean, and the donkey died halfway through. (laughs) So well, if you don't want to talk about it, then you don't, yeah, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. It's hurtful of- memories. It's hurtful memories. So getting back to the facts of life, we come back from commercial and uh, we are back at the house and they are <laughs> continuing the what the fuck is happening yeah. stuff. They are wrapping cookies in foil individually like you do. And uh, there's also a cake there because they are all preparing for Grace's 40th anniversary party, 40 years in teaching. And uh, 
okay, we're not Edna's Edibles anymore. We don't cater anymore. I didn't think last I heard and understood. But for some reason, okay, Mrs. Garrett uh, is going to make a cake for this and make cookies. And they're going to show up to the party. And Mrs. Garrett is even dancing with the with the teacher, the, the African-American salad bar teacher. Salad bar teacher. They're dancing at this party. And it's like, what? What what other services do you offer your clients, Edna? I well, mean, and and Blair is there at the party. All of them are there. Tootie so, and Natalie are in the background too, aren't they? This is again a sitcom. One of my favorite '80s sitcom things of where the entire cast is at an event that only affects one person. Like, um, and I keep referencing the Golden Girls, but it all happened, it, it, they're famous for this. Like yeah. Dorth, Dorothy's high school reunion, for some reason, the, her mother and her two best friends went with her. <laughs> and it, it's like, I just was like, what, Blair, what the fuck are you doing there? You don't even, this person's been a te- student teacher for two days. And you're all like acting like, oh, well, we're and all And now friends. she's throwing a, a 40th party for the yeah. one teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Like on uh, Michigan, you know, the officers club, how many non-officers were in that officers club? (laughs) Just saying. Oh, and the other thing is that uh, Joe is not yet at the party. When we come to the party in progress, which is actually two scenes later, Joe is not there yet because we've had this other scene in between. Uh, So, so let me backtrack a little bit. Um, Uh While we're, wrapping up the things and preparing for this party that they are not or are catering, I don't understand. Um, There is talk of, well, back and forth. And, you know, Blair is like, I still think you should talk to the guy. And Joe's like, I don't know. And Mrs. Garrett says, well, you know, she gets kind of on her soapbox and says, we don't pay our teachers enough. They don't have good work conditions. And instead of a pension, we send them off into space. Uh, awkward. Yeah, she, that, she's, that doesn't age well. Yeah, she is referring, of course, to the recently announced Teacher in Space project, which Krista was McAuliffe. right before the show was made. It was announced that Krista McAuliffe would be the candidate chosen out of thousands of applicants. And of course, she was on the Space Shuttle Challenger, which exploded only a minute and a half, barely that. Uh, into this episode. Into, no. <laughs> but yeah, a, a Krista McAuliffe joke in 1985, thumbs up. 86, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. So Blair and Joe have more talk about the opportunity. And then the next scene, now we're not at the party yet. So I guess it's later the same day. I, I don't even know. The recruiter is at the house. Joe shows up. <laughs> she needs to pee, but decides not to. And this guy's name is Tom. Uh, looking nice in a three-piece navy blue suit with a vet. Tom Horn. Tom Horn. I'm, I'm, I'm a horn dog right now looking at Tom. Tom is hot. Matthew, any comments? I have no comments about Tom. <laughs> I was just, I, she lost me where she begin. where, first of all, he comes to her house for an interview. Thank you. And second of all, like two words into the interview, Joe says, I'm not willing to adapt. 
Yeah. Like that. Oh, even if I didn't want the job, I don't think I would tell somebody, yeah, I'm not willing to adapt to anything. I don't I don't deal with new stuff. So I'm going to become a teacher. So yeah. because I, my, Which, I'm so terrible at adapting. Which is nothing but adapting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I, I haven't done I haven't done that much volunteer work. Flip through all the pages. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, but the other scene. thing about this whole scene is that he sits down. I mean, kind, finally, she sits down, relaxes. Like, OK, well, let's get started. So the first words out of his mouth is, so, Joe, why are you right for JTI? And I wanted her to say, well, I don't know. You fucking asked me here. Why are you right for me? What the fuck? I didn't know I had to prepare a goddamn speech. <laughs> but that to me was weird. She does yeah. say, I like your products. And that's where he says, oh, and he makes a note, <laughs> a funny note, likes our typewriters. <laughs> so that's where yeah. we get the, the IBM connection type of a thing. But quickly we learn that this quote unquote position wouldn't necessarily require her to adapt to a corporate environment. We're not all just Ivy League robots. No, this position would not be solitary. She'd be working with people. Uh, he loved her activism. So you're not happy with the way that things are. And she's like, yeah, well, if there's a way to change things, I'll do it. And he's like, well, we're looking for people like that. That is a spot on Joe Polnicek <laughs> that you're pulling off right now. Thank you. Matthew says, it sounds like Bowser from Shanana. Yeah, uh, well, it's hard to tell them apart anyway. So, anyway, so you were <laughs> you're you. getting back to, to if something needs to be changed, I'll do it. So go back to what you're saying. I'm sorry. Hey, so forget about it. So it, it lands on Joe saying, so are you offering me a job? And he says, you can start after you graduate. And I'm like, you're going to hold a job for a year and a half? Or no, no, no. She just started her junior. This is October. Yes. She just started her junior year. It's yes. like, what is happening? Not you would be an intern. Not we would bring you in as part of the team to see how it fits. Not you could work there over the summer. It's like, no, nope, we're going to walk away and come back in two years. And yeah, we'll have a desk and a nameplate ready for you. <laughs> So then we move on the next scene after this, this makeshift interview recruitership that makes no fucking sense. But I'm sorry, Joe, if I had been her, I would have been like, uh, hey, so does uh, your phone number come with this offer of a position? Because, girl, I'd have, I'd have been trying to hit that. Anyway. Back at the faculty lounge, the party is in full swing with all of the over our heads girls and Mrs. Garrett dancing with the salad bar teacher. And uh, uh, Joe comes in late and goes straight on to uh, Joyce Bulafont and Irene and, and Grace, the two female teachers. And very quickly, Blair joins in the conversation. That's the point where Matthew, you were, what the fuck is she doing there? Yeah. Um, so then Joe was like, you know, this job is putting together educational programs. You know, I could be affecting hundreds of thousands of kids. And he needs to know my answer by 3 p.m. today. For a job he's holding for me for two years. <laughs> yep. I'm dying. And, and so part of me is like, so, so this part, we're having a party during the school day? Because the next scene... Joe is back in the classroom. 
and and it's in three o'clock is nigh. And it's like, well, so did did they have a party catered with a cake and cookies and the entire staff of over our heads? They had to close the shop that day during the school day. That's further, further WTFs. Just say again, who's mining the store? The, the, the question that that keeps begging to be answered, Ed. And then in our final scene, Joe's in the classroom. Let's talk about what's going on in the classroom. This kid who was um, he was the youngest kid in the movie, The Great Outdoors with the wonderful John Candy. Oh, yes, of um, course. Except he had brown hair in that movie for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Um, he's giving a book report or a report about World War Two. I remember talking about World War II in fifth grade because um, the Anne Frank exhibit was touring and it came to our town. Mm -hmm. And also my reading teacher in fifth grade was um, a man named Mr. Horn. How funny. (gasps) And um, he... Um, No. Oh, even worse. Dick Horn. No! Um, But um, he was actually... Side note, my second cousin. And um, but I remember because what? back then, the, I know, weird. Those teachers back then were all on the GI Bill. So like we had like these 800 year old men who had been in World War Two and he loved talking about World War Two. He loved talking about like the fact that the Anne Frank exhibit was in Fort Wayne when he was able to teach about it. Ooh, he li- Mr. Horn loved that. So that's the only that reason I remember. Yeah, that, that was, was fifth in- grade. Yeah, fifth grade. Fifth grade. But and I don't know if it was part of the curriculum to read the diary of Anne Frank or whatever or to talk about it. But the fact that that was an exhibit that was touring and it came through our town the year I was in fifth grade prefaced the fact that oh well this is a time to talk about it but yeah we're sure we're talking about it in second grade uh, no <laughs> would you take a seven-year-old to auschwitz there's would a you? lot to unpack there's a lot to unpack when it comes to <laughs> thank you to, to explaining to a second grader <laughs> about the holocaust yeah a bit. it's wow so um anyway uh, the class leaves i mean he does his book report it's okay it's fine it's kind of skimming the surface but then uh the bell rings the kids leave so it's three o'clock end of the day and he asks about something else to do with the war he's like i still don't understand though why we all had to fight i don't know that and joe does say i got a phone well, of call of course stanley doesn't understand about the war his only frame of reference is his grandfather who says we kicked their pants yeah so she's like you know, the, the, the other countries had shit going on. I got to go. And he's like, oh, okay. And he starts to mope out. And Joe goes, Stanley, wait, sit. And she looks at the clock. It is after three o'clock PM. And then she starts to explain in detail. You know, I remember when I was seven, staying after class with my second grade teacher, to get an additional lecture about history, man, I can't think of anything I wanted to do more at that age. How about you guys? No, that doesn't come to mind. I'm sorry. No, I, I have so many problems with that ending scene. Um, I, there's, first of all, 
<clears throat> listen, Stanley, I'm here right, all week. We're going to come back to this curriculum. You know, it's we not that I don't care about you, buddy, but the workday is over. You got to go home. Don't you have a bus to catch? Is yeah. <laughs> supposed to be on a bus right now? I was thinking that. It's like, kid, you're going to be late. Your mother's going to be like, where the fuck is he? Yeah. Where's Stanley? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you start, you start saying, all right, let me see if I can explain this. War is a concept. Well, not really so much a con concept as an inflagration. What does she call it? Or something I, like that? Like, she uses a word that's even bigger than concept. Yeah. And I, I was like, who the heck taught this girl to teach? Yeah, I, I forget because at that point, I think I stuck a fork in my eye. I'm not sure. To answer your question, nobody taught her to teach because as far as we know, she's never taken a class that would lead up to this. And also her guiding teacher just fucking walked out and was like, peace out, bitch. So nobody. The answer to your question is no one has taught Joe how to teach. <laughs> I mean, oh it is commendable that they are starting this this journey for Joe because a couple other times they did drop hints that she might like to work with kids and she was at a summer camp this past summer and uh, so those those are, have been dropped a little bit so they're going to keep with this and continue with this Ed through the end of the series with her going to work at a, a youth center uh, later on in next season and um, and that's all fine and dandy. Uh, so the symbolism of what's happening here is that Joe is for, forsaking the 3 p.m. phone call deadline to secure that job two years down the road when she's going to be 23 years old. As a 21-year-old, she is setting the course and path of her life by deciding and choosing to spend time with this one child, mm -hmm. edumacating him. So uh, how do we feel about this? Uh, what's our um, what's what's the what's the final word in terms of I I, uh, I I am not particularly pleased with this episode. How do you feel? Well, I can say Ed, that I'm thankful you were here because thanks to you, I would not have learned that the teacher's lounge is more of a TV trope than I thought it was. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Help. Thank you. Mm -hmm. How did you like it, Ed? What did you think? The, I, I thought the overall episode was funnier than um, I thought it was going to be. Um, I laughed more than I thought I would. Um, as many of us have of my generation, we've gone back with all of the opportunities we have online to watch old shows that we watched when we were younger and things don't hold up anymore, you know, and you get a little disappointed. Um, but yeah, this held up. I don't know that I'd be able to go through the entire series like you guys are doing, but um, I was sitting through this one uh, episode was was enjoyable enough. Um, I found that I had to bite my tongue a lot because the, the education and teacher stuff was just so off base most of the time, as well as the interactions with the students. But then, you know, it, it just felt warm and comfortable and familiar. And so how can you not enjoy that? So I would say overall, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not 100% sure why. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it could be the nostalgia. It could just be that you got to spend yeah. time with these characters again, which- well, some old friends, counts, seeing some old friends. Yeah, and that counts for a lot, a lot more than I think we realize. And, yeah. uh, oh, I just created a perfect segue for myself in that 
Before we let you go, Ed, after we've discussed this at length, we like to end the show with something a little more fun. Let's bump up the nostalgia and just uh, name a random commercial from your youth that you liked or remember or just off the top of your head. Um, off the top of my head, uh, I remember there being a commercial when I was really little in the 70s for Levi's jeans. Um, and it had a bunch of Levi's that were like floating out of the sky and floating down to people who wanted them and people were catching them from the sky. And, uh, and I remember when I was a little kid, I used to think to myself, if I had Levi's jeans, like they could float, they could fly. You know, and I'm talking about, you know, preschool me. That's yeah. all far back. But I do remember, and I can't, I've looked for this commercial before on, on YouTube, I can't find it. But it's the as the jeans float down, they go Lee Like like the the lion sleeps tonight. But like instead it just was Levi's, which I thought to myself, oh Lee and Levi's must be the same company. Because wow. they're saying Lee 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 Lee. Wow. I, I have I a don't... question. And I have a question. Mm. Um, David likes to know your commercial, but I've always wondered like Facts of Life was for me. What was your show as a kid? What was their, your appointment television? A happy days as a kid. As as oh. a, as a as an elementary school kid, it was um, Happy Days followed by Laverne and Shirley. Um, on on um, on weekends, my um, I'd cross my fingers that my parents would let me stay up for Fantasy Island after uh, Love Boat, um, you know, because that was only sometimes. Uh, I used to love watching shows with my dad. My dad was the one who introduced me to uh, uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus, as well as Adam Twelve, and my dad being a fireman and my parents being very into it. We watched a lot of Emergency. We watched a lot of Emergency and MASH growing up. Oh. I don't know if you guys remember Emergency with Randall oh, yeah. and Tooth. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Well, Ed, thank you so much for doing this. It was, uh, it was yesterday I contacted you. It was very short notice when I suddenly went, what the fuck is wrong with me? I should have a teacher, a friend who's a teacher uh, on this show to give us some, some insider information. And you certainly haven't disappointed. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thanks, man. Uh, and thank you, Matthew, as well. Um, it's been good. It's been bad, but we take them both. And there we have this show. <laughs> yes. you know? Oh, beautifully put. Beautifully put. Do come back again. Thank you. And I, I always, I, I never know how to end these. It's always awkward. So I just go smooches and goodbye. I think we should end it with each one of us saying smooches and goodbye, but in our best Charlotte Ray impersonation. Oh, yeah, I am on board. All right. should go first? Um, I will go, I will go, Matthew, you go first, lose right. me in the middle, Ed, you Smooches get to go last. and goodbye, your best Charlotte Ray. All right. Um, I don't do a good Charlotte Ray. I'm not the rich little of the podcast like David is. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> smooches and goodbye. I will give that a definite eight out of 10. That's great. That was great. Okay. Oh. Smooches. And goodbye. That I, I got it. You got it. You got something there. That's uh, that's a hard one to beat. That's like a nine point five. But nope. <laughs>
Nope. You are, you're the guest. You're going to crush it. You've already well, told the reason us why I left it at 9.5 because get ready for a 10. Get ready. Get ready. Smooches and goodbye. There it is. Joe, no. <laughs> Tootie, get off those roller scout game. That's it. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> Thanks. And there you have it. That was Ed Budd. Only addendum to what you just heard is that we were talking about Barney the Dinosaur, Barney and Friends, as though it was around in 1985, and we were wrong. Barney and Friends did not start until 1992. Um, so, there. Sue us. I don't know. We, we get things wrong on the show. A lot. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 7, Episode 5, Men for All Seasons. You can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com. You will find the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. 